Welcome. This is Cato Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, February 8th, and I'm your host, Anastasia Glova. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi has successfully pushed the minimum wage hike, which is one of the major items on her first 100 hours agenda, through the House and Senate. The Fair Minimum Wage Act of 2007 would raise the federal minimum wage from 5.15 to 7.25 an hour over two years, raising questions about how the increase will affect employment. Cato's Vice President for Academic Affairs, Jim Dorn, who has written on the issue, thinks that the hike is just a Band-Aid solution that will, in the long run, make things worse for the very people it's trying to help. A lot of economists say that a minimum wage hike would have almost no negative employment effect. Do you agree with this? Well, it depends upon how high the minimum wage is placed. The present minimum wage is 515. They want to put it up to 725 an hour. That's a 40% increase over three years. So that's a sizable increase. So if you believe in the law of demand, which most economists do, in fact, all economists that I know, means higher prices lead to a decrease in the quantity demanded, in this case, the quantity demanded of labor by the employer. So it has to have some effect on employment. Now, in the short run, it may have a rather minor effect, but in the longer run, employers will make substitutions and they'll move to ways to save on higher priced labor. So most of the studies show that the long-run effects are much greater than the short-run effects. So there will be negative effects on employment. The question is, what will be the effect on income? Because people that retain their jobs at the higher wage rate are obviously better off. But those people that lose their jobs will have a zero income unless they can find employment someplace else at lower wage rates. So the net effect on income is what people debate and as far as the overall effect, the people that lose are the ones typically from low-income or around-the-poverty line type families. And those are the very ones it's supposed to help. But most people already earn higher than the minimum wage, so this is meant only to raise the incomes of the poorest of the chronic working poor. Well, they estimate about 18% of the people that would be affected by the minimum wage are in poverty type situations. So most of the people come from families with above poverty income, in fact, substantially above poverty income. A lot of the workers are part-time workers, teenagers, college students. And we're making the assumption that the lowest productivity workers from poor families with children will gain from the minimum wage hike. But in fact, those are the very ones that David Newmark and others have found that would be harmed the most because they have the lowest skills. If you're only producing, let's say, $5 an hour and the employer is forced by law to pay you more than $5 an hour, well, he's going to cut back your hours or cut back your benefits, and those are the very people that would be harmed the most by it. If this feel-good wage hike is not the way to do it, then how should the government set about improving conditions for the working poor? Well, remember, markets should be made up of individuals that are free to choose, and the government's role is to prevent uh, fraud and violence. And the thing I don't like about the minimum wage is that it assumes the government should be a mediator in every contract, and I don't see the government being a mediator. It also makes a false promise. It promises workers a higher wage rate, but it doesn't promise them a job. The employers are free to respond, and they'll respond when the price of labor goes up arbitrarily without an increase in productivity. They'll cut back on employment or hours or benefits. So the question is, why do workers receive a low wage rate in the first place, and what can we do about it? Well, they receive a low wage rate because of low productivity, and the question is how to increase their productivity. The best way to do that is to get rid of barriers to entry so that they can learn by doing or to have them learn from others through a better education and increase their human capital over time. So we have plenty of educational opportunities in the United States, but unfortunately in the inner city where a lot of these people are affected, the public school system is not doing a very good job 
So I've always favored freedom of choice there in terms of vouchers. It would be much more competition, and this would help these individuals in the long run get better education and more opportunities. So the minimum wage does nothing to increase opportunities or education or productivity. We have the earned income tax credit for the working poor, which has worked fairly well, because what the minimum wage does is it prices workers out of the market, because if you can't get a job, your income, even if the minimum wage is $10 an hour, your income will be zero if you don't have a job. But the earned income tax credit, simply if your income falls below the poverty level and you're working, then they will supplement your income. They won't change the wage rate. They'll simply supplement your income. So that doesn't interfere with market prices. That's a much better way to do it than fixing the wage rate. So I'd argue uh, abolish the federal minimum wage and uh, try to get rid of barriers to entry and improve educational competition, and these workers will be much better off in the long run. How have other countries fared without a national minimum wage? Well, Hong Kong, which has one of the highest standards of living in the world, has no minimum wage. There's a debate in Hong Kong right now as to whether they ought to implement a minimum wage. China has no national minimum wage. They have provincial level or what we call state level minimums. But even there, the minimums track the market. The market wages are typically higher than the minimum. And that's smart because otherwise they'll be putting people out of work. And standard of living in China has increased over five times since 1978, since they've been opening to the market. So hundreds of millions of people have been made better off, not by a federal minimum wage, but by opportunities created by markets. So what we ought to do in the United States, you know, right now they're talking about passing minimum wage legislation at the Senate, and they added tax provisions for small businesses there, tax relief for small businesses, which would be harmed the most because big businesses like Walmart aren't harmed as much as small businesses. And that's why Walmart favored the minimum wage hike because it lessens the competition. What we should be doing is instead of saying let's tack on tax provisions to the minimum wage law, tax benefits for small businesses, we should say let's get rid of the minimum wage and reduce marginal tax rates on all capital, which would increase productivity of labor and increase opportunities over time for all workers. But they're not moving in that direction. And that's Again, if the minimum wage were a cure-all, they could simply increase the minimum wage instead of to $7.25. They could increase it to $20 an hour and alleviate poverty overnight. That'd be wonderful. But they can't do that with the legislative wand, you know, a stroke of the pen. Would you support minimum wage legislation at the state level? Well, I think it's a bad idea minimum wage legislation, but it certainly would be better to have no federal minimum wage and let the states set their own because states differ so much. Poor states in the South, for example, would have a much lower minimum wage. Now, if you impose a federal minimum wage on employers in the South, this discriminates against employers in the South, small businesses in particular, and doesn't allow them to grow. And we just did a study in the Cato Journal which showed that the entrepreneurship in the South has been harmed by federal minimum wage for the reason I just stated. It penalizes small businesses and entrepreneurs that have to hire poor workers, low-skilled workers, and the federal minimum wage would price these workers out of the market. And, of course, what would happen then, they would hire in the informal market illegal immigrants coming in from Mexico, and that's what's happening to a large extent. So this really penalizes U.S. citizens that don't have the skills and doesn't allow them to really get the foot on the ladder for upward mobility. And, of course, it does not at all comport with the idea of economic freedom. No. Economic freedom means that both workers and employers would negotiate and have consensual transactions. And again, the worker would not work unless the wage rate offered was better than his or her next best alternative. I've had students come up to me and say, well, McDonald's could pay anything they wanted, and I'm only making $5 an hour at McDonald's. I said, well, what's your next best alternative? And they'll think for a minute and say, well, this is my best alternative, you know, to take this job. I said, did anybody force you to take the job? No. Well, then you must be made better off. 
and then they'll finally agree that they're better off than their next best alternative. Just like when immigrants come in, they're going to be willing to take jobs at $3.50 an hour maybe. Uh, Americans wouldn't do that. But they risk their lives and everything else to come to the United States to take these jobs. And in a couple of years, what you find is these people are operating their own restaurants or getting a higher wage rate. So you can't look at this from a static viewpoint. What the minimum wage says, it's against the law for the employer to pay less than the minimum, even though the employer would be willing to hire a worker at less than the minimum. And it's against the law for the worker to take a job at less than the minimum. That's what a lot of people think. Well, why would the worker take a job at less than the minimum? Well, if you're going to be fired when the wage rate increases, you might be willing to work for your old wage rate to keep your job, and then in another year you'd have a higher wage rate. So the minimum wage law really interferes with that mutually beneficial exchange. The majority of support for the Cato Institute's work comes from individuals, and Cato depends solely on tax-deductible contributions to provide the public with a wealth of free resources, including this podcast. We hope you'll consider supporting or even joining Cato. For information, please go to www.cato.org.